Ciao a tutti ragazzi, sono Manuel e ovviamente ascoltiamo Linus for Everyone anche qui in Italia. Welcome home. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the show about desktop Linux open source software and the people creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo, and episode 15 is going to be a bit streamlined. Yesterday, I had a really, really fun chat with Chris Titus Tech. You may know him from his YouTube channel. He is a Linux content producer, and he actually made the switch to Linux a few months after I did last year, and it has kind of transformed him. So we had a conversation about that, and um, I think you'll find some really interesting viewpoints here. After our chat, there'll be, of course, another song from The Source. And if you need some more podcasts to fill up your time, might I suggest a brand new show on the Destination Linux Network. It's called DLN Extend, and it's hosted by Eric Adams and Cubicle Nate. And this is basically a show that kind of recaps some of the more interesting topics from across the network and offers a few different opinions and takes as well. So I think you guys will enjoy it. Head over to destinationlinux.network and pick it up. So, Chris, thanks a lot for being on the show. How are you doing? Great, man. And yourself? Uh, pretty good. It's it's cold and dreary here in Eastern Europe, and we just hit our daylight savings time, which is actually which happens a week before you guys in the U.S. So uh, things get very confusing this time of year for me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I hear you. I wanted to get you on the show because I feel like we've shared a similar journey with Linux. You know, we both adopted Linux roughly a year ago, and we both gradually transitioned our content, and, and in my case, that's my day job, to, to covering almost exclusively Linux. So I want to give you a chance to just kind of introduce yourself, you know, who is Chris, what is Chris Titus Tech, and how did you find yourself getting into desktop Linux? So I actually started doing YouTube videos in that and really getting into uh, technology and just kind of sharing that with everyone. My original videos weren't about Linux at all. It was actually about like Windows Server. And I was just in there and I was watching my videos and I had like this dreary like feeling about it. And then I found Linux because of a comment on one of my original videos. And I started going into it and I was like, oh my God. This is really amazing. And it just like reignited that passion I have for technology. And it's really what made my whole YouTube career take off. And, and I have Linux to thank for that. So as far as me personally, I kind of have been in IT for like 20 years and mainly as Windows support. So most people don't realize I've actually, that's where most of my skills lie. And what ended up happening is I started a YouTube channel and really got into it. And roughly about a month or two in, I got a couple comments about Linux and I decided, you know what, it's been a while since I tried Linux. And, you know, I jumped into it and it really reignited that passion I have for Linux. And I, it just, took off from there into this whole different beast now. And I absolutely love it. It's, you know, really uh, saved my life in a lot of ways. And that's 
where I really got my start. And that's kind of what I identify as now, but I still make content for pretty much all the operating systems, but I really focus heavily on Linux. Yeah, I've noticed that. I want to, I want to dig more into, into what you just said. You said it, it kind of saved your life. How so? So I actually had a dream growing up to where I really wanted to like manage a data center, really get to like a, a senior systems engineer level. And I actually surpassed that and became like an IT director and really was able to achieve all these things that I've always wanted to achieve. And I got there and I was completely miserable. Like all I, all I did was work and I never got to see my family very much. And then uh, when I was there, you know, I wasn't even really present because I was working so much. And then um, I saw my son, he, he was on YouTube and he was watching like Markiplier or somebody else, you know, and, and I was like, oh my God. And, and he's telling me, oh, these guys, they, they, that's all they do. And I was like, really, you can make a career out of that. And, and it kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's how I kind of fell into it. And then I was like, well, God, if I could do that, I could spend more time with my family and, and uh, whatnot. And that's kind of what started me off. I was like, you know what? And uh, I love technology. I always love tinkering. And I was like, I'll just start making videos with that. So that's kind of what set me on my journey or my path. And that's why it kind of saved my life because, well, I'm able to spend more time with my family and just enjoy life a hell of a lot more than I do when, when I was in my old position. I mean, it's just a, a whole ridiculous black and white change that I made between the two. You know, I can relate to that a bit uh, because I went from writing at Forbes and I'd spent about four and a half to five years doing that. And then I took a completely different path and became a, a senior technical marketing representative for AMD. Twice the pay, twice the hours. <laughs> so, and, I, and I was miserable too. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, and I think it was like, uh, I've been listening a lot to like Gary Vaynerchuk and those type of guys. And my favorite saying from that whole realm is chase happiness and not money. And when I did that, uh, my whole life changed in that regard. And that's kind of where I found Linux as well. So, I mean, it's it's like this perfect storm of things <clears throat> that happened to, to get me where I'm at right now. Something I'm really curious about is, is people's their preconceived notions about desktop Linux itself. And you mentioned that you you had come back to Linux in some way. What were you expecting based on your past experience? Is, was there anything that, that really surprised you when you finally jumped into to desktop Linux last year? So, yeah, there was a lot of things that sur surprised me was, um, well... I actually had a huge background in, in server. So as far as Linux server, I've, I've dealt with them for more than a decade, really. And I understood the terminal. I understood all that. But really, it never dawned on me there's an actual desktop Linux. And uh, I've used Ubuntu and some other stuff, but I always kind of just was like, ah, it doesn't play games. It doesn't do what I needed to do. Um, I'm not going to use it. And when I jumped back in, I was just amazed at how far it came. It, it's just breathtaking. Like, I was just like, oh my God, it can do all this. And, and I started really jumping into it. And that's when I realized this has come this far in only a year. And I was like, immediately, what's five years going to look like? What's 10 years going to look like? <laughs> and that's what I was like, I'm, I'm going all in on Linux. This is amazing. And that's really where it took off. But I mean, for me, really, the, the turning point was when Steam Proton came out and then they started doing install and play on Linux where you didn't have to get in terminal. You didn't have to go into wine bottles and do all these uh, hacks to get your game to work. It, it really changed the game. That's I, I continuously beat that same drum. Steam Proton. I, I'm, I am floored. Well, I, I should back up. You know, once, once I said in a Forbes article that it was miraculous, it was outstanding how in one year you went from being able to play zero it, Windows exclusive games on Steam, right, to playing something like 6,000 that ran well. But after I had the interview with Code Weavers, they were like, hey, that's like 25 years of work that made that possible, man. <laughs> but it is, but it is brilliant how Valve was able to harness that and turn it into an easy, transparent tool. 
and and that's where I think a lot of the things in Linux is just um, kind of fallen down a little bit is there's so many other tools, not just Proton, that are amazing on Linux. There's just no ease of use. And, and it just takes that little bridge. Like for, you know, Wine, it was Proton or Steam that jumped in. But I see other things that have happened. And I'm like, it's only a matter of time before things People just make it a lot easier. Like, uh, I, you know, most people that watch me know that I'm no fan of Ubuntu. But one thing that like Ubuntu and Canonical did was made desktop Linux appeal to the average user. So, I mean, it's really interesting to see all these other pieces just laying there waiting for someone to easily connect it to where my mom can pick up Linux and use it. And, and I just see more every day. It seems like there's a new advancement in this front of ease of use. Do you think that there are... Linux distributions out there right now that that your mother or or your grandmother could pick up and use. Uh, yeah, so like uh, my mother-in-law, I I installed Linux Mint for her and she's been using that for a year and a half now. So, uh I put that on her system because she kept getting infected and all she used it for was web browsing and I was always thought, well, Linux is great at web browsing and uh you pretty much don't have to worry as much about viruses and those types of things. Um when it came to having a Linux system. So I just installed that on her and just said, go. And literally now I, I go over there every every week for family dinner and uh, no longer am I sitting there fixing her computer every week. Instead, <laughs> we're actually able to eat dinner and, and talk about other stuff. And that's just because Linux just works once it gets going. And that's the thing that's just awesome. It's extremely stable. And that's a win for both of you. Well, Chris, you mentioned Ubuntu. Is Ubuntu still the devil? <laughs> you got to love the clickbait titles. Uh, um, yeah, so like Ubuntu does a lot of things I don't particularly like, but at the same time, I can still appreciate them as a company. So I think the major thing that I kind of was playing to there is... Um, I don't like their snaps packages and some of the things like uh, when it comes to Linux, everything's free and open. But uh, when it comes to snaps, they have like this hold on their central repository for for snaps in general. And I know that they're kind of transitioning more and more packages into snaps like Chromium in the latest release of, I think, 1910. And they're even backdating into 1904. And that's why I'm like not a huge fan of Canonical or Ubuntu. But at the same time, um, this is kind of pro what progress looks like. You know, a lot of hardcore old Linux users will go, hey, if it's not free and open, it doesn't belong on Linux. And I'm not in this camp, uh, even though I might call it out and might sound a little hypocritical there. But um, it's it's something that just happens as time goes on. And uh, I wanted to just say, hey, there's other options than than using Ubuntu. But long story short, uh, I don't think they're the devil. I think there's a good <laughs> time and place for Ubuntu. It's just definitely not my favorite distro. Well, do you have the same view of uh, Flatpak as you do Snaps? I don't. I, I really like Flatpak, actually. So one, it, it feels now this may just be totally the placebo effect for me just because it's not snaps, but it feels like it's a little faster. Like snaps by default, I can see a little performance uptick just removing all of the snaps and, and getting rid of the snap D package from Ubuntu. Where Flatpak, it just feels a little bit better. And two, um, I'm kind of a terminal junkie and Flatpak is plays really nice in the terminal where I'm able to just fly through it because I know all the syntax. So um, I wouldn't say Flatpak is necessarily better from a user standpoint as usability standpoint. But when it comes to Flatpak, I really do enjoy just how it's all set up. And I don't believe it's a centralized server where it's owned by one company or entity. I, I believe anybody could pop up their own Flathub server and tie into it. I do hear I do hear a lot of criticism of of snaps. I mean, as much as I hate on it, sometimes I've done videos where I explain how to do something in Snap just because it's so darn simple. Like uh, when I made a Nextcloud video, uh, I did one without the snaps and it was like 30 minutes long. I mean, it was like, no one's going to watch mm -hmm. this. It's just ridiculous. And then I made one where it just uses a snap and that video was like nine minutes long. That is a pretty influential argument for the accessibility of snaps and, and what Canonical's trying to do there. 
you know, just making that that user experience that much better. And it does in that regard, like when it comes to doing just a simple lamp stack and uh, next cloud and those types of things, it's great for just getting started. But long term, a lot of times people run into problems with maintenance and those types of things. It becomes a little harder when it's in a container like a snap or flat pack or even app image. So that's why a lot of times I'm like, ah, so I try and show both a lot of times just because it depends on your preference and what you're doing. If you're doing a heavy customization of a Snap install, well, you're probably better off not doing it. Hmm. So what distro is your daily driver? So I have three. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, so I'm all over the place. I actually have about 10 computers here at the house. So I'm a little bit ridiculous on this front. And a lot of it is I just want to stay well-versed in, you know, whether it's RHEL or whether it's, uh, you know, Arch-based systems or Debian-based systems. I I want to use all three on a a daily basis because uh, you lose a little bit when something doesn't become your daily driver. So as far as here in the studio, I typically kind of bounce around a little bit, but lately that's been Manjaro. Inside on my production machine, I really like Debian, vanilla Debian, with just uh, kind of building that out. And then on a lot of laptops and things, I've been using Fedora uh, a lot. So, and those are older laptops. So, you know, if I was running like a newer hybrid graphics laptop, I'd probably do like Pop OS. But I, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to distros, and that's why, like my hmm. my big thing has always been distros don't matter once you learn the package manager because that's really uh the look and feel and the the package manager itself is the only thing that you know differentiates the distros and uh that's why i kind of wanted to say instead of focusing on fragmentation i focus on just linux as a whole and then when i'm teaching something i like hey if you're using this or that it, it shouldn't matter the commands are relatively the same and that way no matter what distro you're on you could follow a lot of my guides Now, I'm going to take a shot in the dark, though, and guess that if someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to ditch Windows and try out this desktop Linux thing, I'm guessing that you don't recommend to them the same distros that you use. Yeah, pretty much. There's a couple caveats to that, like Fedora, depending on their usage, I might recommend. But for the most part, I'm always like, hey, you you probably need to use Linux Mint or Pop! OS are probably my two biggest ones. And then probably Kubuntu as well. I really like Kubuntu because I'm a kind of a KDE guy when it comes to desktop environments. When I even made the Pop! OS install video, uh, I showed people how to switch to KDE desktop environment, which is a bit of an abomination. I've always, I don't know, I've always wanted to um, keep Pop, because Pop! OS is my daily driver, but I've actually wanted to play around with XFCE on Pop, or KDE on Pop, or Budgie on Pop, or, you know, whatever. But it seems like whenever I install an alternate desktop environment, things start looking a little strange. Have you noticed that? And I mean, do you have any tips for people who want to do that? Yeah, so like usually when it comes to two very different ones, like when you install KDE alongside of GNOME, typically that one runs pretty smooth and pretty okay. However, when you start getting some shared resources, things get a little wonky. And a lot of people have done like different users for different uh, desktop environments, but you also have like the display manager and those types of things. Switching that around can get a little tricky. So I never really recommend more than two desktop environments on a same system. And usually those two are almost always GNOME and KDE as far as flipping back and forth. So it's a personal preference thing, but you know, I kind of like that. And I've actually had some people kind of uh, yell at me in the comments about uh, using no man KDE on the same one where I actually like the Nautilus file manager a little bit better than Dolphin under KDE. So a lot of times I will actually use Nautilus in KDE and people are like, oh no. I mean, why not Frankenstein it up, right? That's the that's the appeal of Linux for so many people. I've had a bit of a struggle when it comes to recommending distros to other people. You just can't give them a blanket answer. You know, you you kind of need to find out where they're coming from and what they want. And I've really started considering something like Zorin OS lately, because it's built on Ubuntu LTS, 
And because if you go with something like Zorin OS Ultimate, you get those different desktop paradigms at the click of a button. You know, do you, do you want it to look more like uh, GNOME? This layout. You want it to look more like Windows 7? This layout. And I really, I mean, and, and Zorin isn't the only one to do this. Deepin has this. Uh, Ubuntu Mate has this. And I don't know what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. Ease of use and just kind of building up that, that intro user to, to Linux. It, there is no good answer there. That's why I kind of started that whole distributions don't matter rant of mine. And it wasn't to say distributions don't matter. I just wanted to get a different mentality because at the end of the day, new users are always looking for this silver bullet of a distribution that just has everything perfectly aligned with their needs and wants. And I always think that Linux is what you make it. What if we lived in a world where there was Mac OS and Windows 10 and Linux? Just one version of desktop Linux. One version to attract average PC users, right? What existing distribution would that be for you? And if it doesn't exist, what would it look like? I don't think it exists. And what it would look like, I think, would roll... The the tricky thing is, it's different for everybody. But for the most part someone coming from Mac would fall more into like a gnome with a nice dock and in that emulation, or maybe even like an elementary OS that kind of emulates the default stock OS X look out of the box. And for a windows user, I think it'd be more of the KDE based environment distros like a Kubuntu or a Linux mint because it's so familiar because at the end of the day, people don't use Linux just because it's not familiar to them. So with all three in there, I would say almost there'd be two versions of Linux in that ideal world. And one would look like OSX and one would look like hmm. Windows. Well, I want to move on to, to your YouTube channel a bit because I am kind of a dinosaur when it comes to content, right? When it comes to the content that I create, I'm a writer. And yet I see the world shifting pretty rapidly towards consuming content on video platforms. And I see people making a living out of it. And I myself have toyed with the idea of going over and making, you know, certain uh, reviews or certain gaming reports, a video instead of an article on Forbes. It looks like a tremendous amount of work. And yet, you have uploaded something like 400 videos in the last year. That's more than one a day. Where do all the ideas come from? And, and how much work is that really? So, yeah, it depends on the person when it comes to actually the amount of work that goes in. I've been in IT field for almost two decades. So I'm rather uh, adept when it comes to computers. And for me, shooting the video and all the ideas, that's where most people get stuck. And I'm just a lot of times doing brain dumps, like I'll learn something and I just want to dump it right into there. And I've actually using my website, ChrisTitus.com, made like blog posts and, and those types of things on complex issues I've run into. And I would do a brain dump to that. So if I ever ran out of ideas, I could always shift back to some of my older content and go, oh, you know what? I can make a video over that. But for the most part, a lot of the ideas came from switching to Linux because when I did that, I knew quite a bit about Linux server, but I knew almost nothing about Linux desktop. So you can kind of see, like when I first started the channel, it was very easy to make daily videos because I was literally just turning on the camera and saying, hey, these were my experiences of the day. This is what went well. This was what really bombed on <laughs> Linux. And you could just kind of see this whole journey, which was kind of cool. So a lot of people, it was like a vlog style format using a webcam of all things. So it wasn't like I set out to make a bunch of money, even though that's what ended up happening. Um, and it was kind of like this really kind of a cool thing. But nowadays, it's just seeing new things and starting that journey all over again. Because the cool thing about Linux is this, it's this bottomless pit of information. Yeah, it's not just one rabbit hole. It's like 10 rabbit holes and then some black holes thrown into the mix as well. You know, it's and I say that in a in a in a positive way. I mean, there's there's a, there is no end to the things you can discover and the things you can improve upon. And when you discover those and improve upon them, then there's improvements 
made to those things. And there's things like Proton and there's things like Lutris. And, you know, the, the pace of development in Linux is extraordinary. And uh, I think that's what makes it so exciting for me is it's always fresh. It always feels fresh. Yeah. And like you, you see it all over the place. And my thing is not uh, I not what content I'm making. It's what content not to make. Because honestly, if I just covered the news of the day, I literally could fill up five days of my week just on Linux news. For me, a lot of it's like, OK, don't do that. I don't want to fall into that trap. And, you know, people can go online. You you do a great job. I think you do a lot better job than I could ever do about presenting the news of the day with benchmarks and other things. And I'm like, okay, I need to just focus more on the actual teaching and breaking it down for the average user. And that's where I take and learn something. And then I try and like, okay, how do I make this easy? And then I make the video. And there's something like that every single day. That's, that's crazy. Because I mean, I don't even write an article every single day. And that's much easier. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it's the exact opposite because uh, a lot of people, when I tell them I'm on social media or I'm uh, doing stuff on YouTube, they laugh because I've always been the guy that I'm just not very good with words a lot of times. And I've always been the guy you go to to get crap done. So like you'd come to me and go, hey, Titus, we need to get this done. I'd be like, cool, I'm on it. And then I take it and I get it done. And that was just always me and my personality. So getting on YouTube, it's a whole different game. And, and you know, uh, a lot of times it's just me doing take after take, trying to get it to where, okay, that doesn't sound horrible. I think we can roll with that. All right, we'll just throw some, <laughs> some actually screen share in there and we'll call it a day. <laughs> Do you notice anything different about the Linux communities that you interact with now versus all the other communities that you've engaged with in your career. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so this funny thing is the Linux community has kind of gone through this giant shift. Like 10 years ago, I remember getting on the CentOS forums uh, because I was doing a lot of like telephony work in CentOS servers. And I'd ask uh, rather, I, I thought a good question and I would just get, you know, RTFM and, and yell and just, it was this toxic community. And then I came back, you know, last year and, and started doing stuff and I get in forums or chat rooms and it's amazing how nice everyone's been, how welcoming. I mean, obviously don't get on the arch forums, but you know what I'm saying? Oh. <laughs> you know what though? The sad thing is everybody, everybody says that. I hear everybody say that. And when you hear something enough, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. And that was just because that's where the Linux community was. It was this really small, uh, avid group of, of fans that just love Linux, but they weren't necessarily people persons. And when you, it started expanding and getting better and better, more people jumped on and now it's extremely welcoming. I think the Linux community is probably the best community. Now, obviously I might have a little bias here, but it is amazing how helpful everyone's been to me in my journey. Like most people a, half my video ideas have come from comments and people going to my videos and watching them and go, oh, you should try this. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even know about that. Oh man, I could talk about that for days. I, I It's the same thing with me. Half of my articles, the, the you know, ton of my podcast ideas, the things that I try are from the Linux community taking the time to just say, hey, you should check this out. And not just say it, people have written guides. Yeah, People have done like screen shares with me in a private message on Telegram showing me how to do something. It's not, it's not, it's so much different than just pointing to something you've already published for the world going, yeah, here's this guide. It's so incredible that people would take the time to just do that personally for you one-on-one. -on -one. And that is so true. And it's amazing how that has happened. So when people say the Linux community is toxic, I'm like, all right, this guy just hadn't used Linux in a long time is what I gather from that because... Uh, you look at more of the toxic side of things. A lot of it comes from Windows. Like some of my Windows videos has probably the most toxic comments of all on my channel, which is kind of hilarious because those videos were like, uh, some of them were opinion pieces. Of course, you're going to get toxicity when you ever do an opinion piece. But some of them were just straight up guides where I was just like, no nonsense. Here's how to clean up Windows. And these are the three steps you need. And it, it, very simple. And, and then I'll get some really, really nasty comments that you're like, oh, Yikes, if I didn't have thick skin, I'd probably go cry in a corner on that one. <laughs> you know what, though? I, there's toxicity in every community. It's just 
to what degree, to what percentage. Yep, exactly. Here's a more difficult question. If you had to point to one mindset in the Linux community that you wish would change, what would that be? Acceptance. I would say Mm. when it comes down to it, uh, there's still uh, a small percentage of the Linux population that thinks that you're impure if you use anything else. And I think that should change. I really do wish people would understand people coming over to Linux. It's not like a light switch. You can't just come on and off. You need to dual boot and gradually get into it. And uh, that is a messy thing. It's it's something they're, they're going to have to learn a whole new OS. And it's not something really easy, like just switch to Linux. It needs to be more. It's a gradual effect. And I, I wish more people understood that in the, the Linux community and uh, would not pass judgment on those that still use Windows or Mac. Well said. Well said. So circling back to your YouTube channel and the content that you're producing, I hear so many people say that Linux does not have mainstream appeal. And sure, you're, you're not at the numbers of Linus Tech Tips with 15 million, but you have gone from basically zero to more than 81,000 subscribers in less than a year. What's driving that? What's behind that growth? So a lot of that is curiosity. I think a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to 80,000 subscribers in, in that year, a lot of that is Windows or Mac users coming over and going, what's this Linux? It, it plays games, it does this. And a lot of it is people curious. And probably the, the best comment I ever get is, hey, I tried Linux or I came over and I did this. And I'm like, hey, that's fantastic. You know, let us know. Let me see who can help. And I try and point everybody to points of help uh, as far as adopting Linux. But I do understand sometimes Linux isn't for everyone. So I think it's about that inclusion aspect of it. My big thing, I always say as a tagline, I, I want to give you the power of choice. Really, once you understand Windows, you understand Mac, you understand Linux, uh, the clear winner in the future, you know, five years from now, uh, you know, to me, as clear as day is going to be Linux. And, and that's where I think a lot of people are starting to get to that realization, just showcasing that, showcasing what it can do, and then telling people in in a very simplistic format how to do it It is such a powerful tool. And I wish more people did it because obviously 80,000 starting with just a webcam and some crappy audio using like a Yeti mic um, and then growing that quickly in just literally months um, that that's kind of crazy. And I, I think there's a lot of growth there. So, so someone out there listening to this that wants to jump on YouTube, there's still a ton of things to do because there's plenty of people that watch my content and go, yeah, I like what he's saying. I just not so sure about this guy. So I think there's still a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) still a lot of growth there, man. There's still a lot of growth. So I think other people could do it. I just wish more people approached it in that simplistic manner and in trying to help people transition. Well, you've had a, you've had a few hundred videos to illustrate your point, but what if you only had 60 seconds? What do you say? I, I think if you look at some of the greatest salespeople of all time and you look at like Zig Ziglar and he, he, he the famous, hey, I want you to sell me this pen, I would ask them questions and listen to the person. I think that's lost in a lot of today's society. And mm-hmm. instead of trying to sell someone on Linux, listen to their needs, listen to their problems that they have with their existing OS, whether it's Mac or, or Windows, and, and then go you know what, based on what you've told me, you know, you already would love Linux. So a lot of it isn't selling Linux. A lot of it's just presenting the options and then listening to people and their current problems, because I couldn't tell you how many people that come up to me and go, oh my God, Windows 10 updates, I'm, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> Is there anything that you still feel uh, lures you back into Windows or Mac OS for that matter? Sure, like Mac OS, no, because I, I never really have been an avid Mac person. I've always just thought they're kind of overpriced. But when it comes to Windows, I there are still some things. So certain 
aspects of gaming such as like PUBG, Fortnite and those types of things. Whenever mm. a, a buddy calls me up, you know, I have one that lives up in Oklahoma <clears> and he'll call me up and like, hey, let's play a game of PUBG. I'm like, all right, well, give me a minute to update. Uh, so, you know, I always like give me a couple hours leeway because I'm going to have to do some updates. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's getting to the point where I don't think I've booted into my Windows partition in two months. You've been in the the Windows industry as a professional for what, 20 years? What happens January 2020? And you know what I'm referring to, of course, the, you know, Windows 7 end of support. Do you think that we see any kind of noticeable uptick in uh, Linux adoption? Or do you think we just see a higher share of Windows 10? No, um, I don't think either. So here's what hmm. happens with users. A lot of people just don't understand is people will just keep using it and they'll just keep using it until something happens. That's just the world we live in. Now, what'll end up happening is after 2020, they'll stop getting security updates and then eventually people graduate to, you know, to both to Linux and then also, you know, Windows tend to an extent because some people just can't leave that ecosystem. And when that happens, it's just a slow trickle. It's not like there's a hard deadline. Think of like Y2K for, you know, the older people in the audience. It's just almost like a, eh, it, it happened, but I'm going to keep using this. And then really, I think w the only time you see a big shift is, let's say, a really bad ransomware came out or like in 2017 when the NSA tools got leaked and there was a huge uh, surge of ransomware. People were just infecting Windows PCs left and right. I think it'll take uh, quite a few more of these uh, issues and events to happen to really see more of a push to Linux from Windows 7. And I think that'll also, from the negative aspect, this is kind of what happens, but from a positive aspect, Linux will also lure people over by having more compatibility with gaming, more compatibility just in hardware in general. Uh, so a lot of this is... Uh, in that realm, what I worry about is like Windows making foldable phones and uh, attachment accessories that tack onto uh, things and just change the game a bit, have more of that vendor lock in. I don't know. We, we kind of see that happening now with the uh, the new lineup of Surface products. I mean, they're, um, you know, when we're talking about the, what was it, the the Neo I think it is, or yeah, even, with the snappable keyboards and those types of things. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a completely different kind of UI and completely new, probably driver stacks and and just, you know, all those elements of Windows that Linux has not had years to emulate. And that is functionality that just doesn't exist because there's no form factor to slap it onto. And so that's when you might you might see Linux you know, spending several years playing catch up with those, those really innovative flagship devices. And eh, I, I just wish we had a few of our own, I guess. And I think that'll happen organically. I think as more of the population realizes Linux desktop is an option, and you start to, I don't know what it'll be, but there'll be a point that we hit, and then it'll just go vertical. Linux will get enough adoption to where more and more people will do it and then it'll just grow exponentially. So, and I think we're getting close to that. And I, I really want to see, I hate to say it, but I think like Steam or Google will really be the ones to push it over the top to really hit that mainstream appeal. And we'll see what happens. I don't think it, anybody has quite the vision of what that looks like. I think a lot of people think of Linux desktop adoption as just this very linear thing and it's just going to look exactly like it does today just more people on it five years in the future i think it's going to be a bit messy so some uh, people okay. are not going to like massive adoption because you're going to see more proprietary software more software that is sold and no longer free and open you'll also see uh entrance of many more you know the bigger companies having wild wider influence on the community and that's uh i think a big fear of a lot of the vets why some people like when i've gone and talked to a lot of other people in the linux community a lot of them are wishy-washy whether or not they even want linux adoption which to me is kind of crazy i was like man you want more compatibility you want more adoption and everyone's like ah you know what i kind of like it how it is maybe i i think it it feels more special 
to a lot of people now because it's kind of this undiscovered secret that just rocks. And I completely understand the, uh, I guess, the what corporate influence fears that, that some people have as well. So, but you know what, though? The beauty is, if that does happen to a popular distro, there's 15, 20, 200 other ones. And that's why I'm always like, you know what? It doesn't matter, man. It, when it comes to that, I'm always telling people, fragmentation, I view as almost a good thing because it always gives us options. I, I honestly think you should boil, you know, be able to take your options and then boil it down to like two or three options. And as long as you can do that, uh, I think Linux desktop will just flourish. But a lot of people get stuck looking at all the distributions and go, oh my God, there's there's literally hundreds. And I'm like, no, no, what you need to be looking at is about these two or three. Well, what is next for you? What's uh, What's coming up for Chris Titus Tech in the next, I don't know, three to six months? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing as far as what I got going. I, I went back to daily videos recently, which has been, I had a little, this past month, I went to every other day. And then I recently moved back to daily videos just to kind of get more of my content out because I just have this huge backlog. So I'm going to just keep covering Linux. And then I'm going to try and be a little more inclusive and show, I think this week I'm doing a little like Hackintosh stuff where people can actually install Mac OS on, on regular hardware. And then occasionally I sprinkle in a Windows video. I try and do one Windows video a week. So I kind of include all the OSs to kind of help shine a light on Linux because a lot of times people will go, you know what, I like this video this guy did on Mac or Windows and go, oh, he also does videos on Linux and kind of uh, tie in with that. So a lot of times when I'm making videos, I try and include everybody and then shine a light because I think it's very easy to establish our own echo chambers and yes. only say one thing. And that's why, you know, a lot of times I do make a Mac or Windows video and people are like, WTF? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's it's not like I'm converting to this as my channel <laughs> thing. It's just... <laughs> I think we need to appeal to a broad audience and then lend a helping hand when we can. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said earlier, it, it really is beneficial to keep an open mind with what I will call the alternative operating systems, which are Windows and Mac OS, um, because it does help us inform people and it does help us stay abreast of what changes are happening, whether those are good or bad. And, uh, you know, I'm actually kind of glad that I, I recently got a, uh, a Talon PC in from Falcon Northwest, and I, I published the review today. The review is Windows, you know, because they took the time to send a review unit from Oregon to Eastern Europe with Windows 10 installed on it. And I, <laughs> I had a bit of blowback there where people were saying, oh, man, you're not going to do Linux? I said, yes, I am going to do Linux on it. I can't wait to throw Linux on it. But first, I'm going to do the Windows review. And uh, it, it was kind of a cool experience, to be honest, to just kind of update myself, you know, what games are currently on Windows that I can't play on Linux? What is the benchmarking experience like and how does that differ? Because that helps me maybe try to uh, influence developers in the Linux community to make our tools better. When it comes to that, you need to not lose perspective. So... With you reviewing that or me making a different OS video, it's important to drop into those things and understand what the user's experiencing and know their frustrations when they don't or you're not able to understand or be able to relate to that person. So using Windows every once in a while or using Mac every once in a while is a good thing. Uh, one, for me personally, I still uh, go to, you know, I have a... a part-time job still where I drive in to Dallas and, and work for a law firm for a couple of days a week. Um, and I like doing that, not just for the financial gain, but also just kind of stay up to date on everything because it's so easy to get lost in your own world when you only talk about one thing. And yeah. it's so important to diversify. Well, we agree on a lot. I, I wish that we could find a few things to disagree about. Well, I guess I like, you know what? I like snaps, so deal with it. <laughs> um, and I also like Ubuntu. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I love that they're slapping that uh, NVIDIA proprietary driver right on the ISO now. I think that was sorely needed. But yeah, it's that kind of stuff that I like. Even if I'm not, even if that's not my daily driver, I like that it makes the onboarding process easier for new people. And 
to your counter, like I said, Debian was one of my favorite distros, like vanilla Debian. And you couldn't find something more unuser friendly in your life if you tried. Oh my god! You have to. Oh, you have to dig like fifteen levels in to find the non-free ISO that you can install, like Codex, so you can watch Netflix. And I know that experience (laughs) is crap for a new person. That's why I never recommend it to anybody that's starting out. No, but you know what? Maybe maybe that person you recommend Ubuntu or Linux Mint to will eventually discover that they prefer that vanilla Debian experience. And something I've been telling people is show these guys and girls one door. And then once they get through the door, show them the buffet. Well, Chris, uh, where can everybody find you all over the internet? Uh, Pretty much ChrisTitus.com is my hub. So you can get me everywhere from there. You can hit me up on Twitter, uh, I, heck, I even have a Twitch channel and YouTube and, you know, I'm a little bit all over the place. So it's, it's where you can't is really the big thing. And the only place you can't is Facebook. I, I think they're the devil. <laughs> well, listen, man, thank you for spending your morning with me. And uh, I really enjoyed the chat. And anytime you want to head back over, open door. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was great. So you guys know, I always try to bring you something a little different or unique for Songs from the Source, and this one certainly qualifies. This was the winning submission for the Open Source Music Nexus Challenge. The artist is Spotlight Kid, the track is called Another Day, and this is an homage to late 1970s Italian disco. That's right. Spotlight Kid says he intentionally ups the uh, the cheese factor a notch to veer straight into 70s disco. And this is a really fun tune. This was produced exclusively on Linux using Ardor 5 with a bunch of LV2 plugins and synthesizers. And the vocal track is courtesy of Julia Kramer. You can find a link to more details about this song as well as a link to download it directly over at Linux, the number four, everyone.com. A big shout out to Rob Vandenberg, the very first Songs from the Source artist, for uh, steering me in the direction of this tune. And a huge thank you as well to all of my patrons who support this show and everyone who listens. I'll see you next week for episode 16. And as always, take care and take care of each other.
So, Chris, thank you for being on the show. Uh, we have we have interacted uh, here and there, but you know that really sucked. So I'm going to start it again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> See, I will just keep talking because I do so many show. I do so many episodes solo, right? Uh, that yeah. sometimes I will just keep talking and forget there's someone there. It's really stupid. Zoran isn't the only one to do this. Deepin has this. Uh, Ubuntu Mate has this, and I don't know what I was trying to say. <laughs> oh, man. Screw it.